0: There's a lot of difference between stock investing and stock speculation. Investing is long-term. Speculation is gambling. And I I think it was Warren Buffett who said in the short term, I, I may have misquoted who it is, in the short term, the stock market is a casino. In the long term, I don't remember what it was in the long term, but it's a good thing in the long term, basically. <laughs> in the short term, it's a casino.
1: Once more under the breach, dear friends else fill the wall up with our English dead good morning again, and welcome back to another exciting second hour of the personal wealth coach where we will say such exciting things as we we really met the personal consumption index right very exciting please please stay tuned this is this is a, this is a real cliffhanger well we will also it's actually talk called a, go ahead
0: it is actually also called the PCE. yes Personal consumption expenditure index. Yes.
1: But it could be called the PCEI. This is yes, how exciting indeed. our our right. program will be today as we fling acronyms at
0: one another without regard to the damage they may cause to the listening public.
1: And talk about pet peeves. Like when people use a word that's been abbreviated in an acronym after the acronym, like ATM machine. <laughs> <laughs> Please just say ATMM. <laughs> ATM, Automated Teller
0: Machine Machine.
1: Yes. Uh, so uh, there's a, th- these are the pet peeves of economists. Too many well, letters in that acronym. We can efficiently trim that down. How many hours will it take you to do that? Well, at least 10. Yes. All right. We are actually economists, and we're here to talk to you about, get this, the economy. Da-dum. We're also going to talk about some personal finance stuff, because we do a lot of that as well. Um, the two of us uh, are uh, Jeff and Jake, uh, just so happen to also be principals at another firm, or at a firm. It's not really another firm. It's kind of the firm that we're with, um, the Personal Wealth Coach, which is also the name of this radio program. Hmm. It's a whole nother firm. It's a whole nother firm, Yes. Right. Specific to the word another. Right. Um, Yes. So the personal wealth coach is also an SEC registered investment advisory firm. Which does does not
0: imply in any way that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything we're doing. As a matter of fact, given the opportunity, they would disapprove.
1: Yes, that is their job. And we're just happy that they don't disapprove of us tremendously. Right. Uh, In fact, I'm not sure that they've ever disapproved of us, which is not because they haven't approved of us. Because they haven't had enough it's, notice of us, maybe? I don't well, know. Well, they looked hard. Yeah. Um, right. So the SEC uh, doesn't give us some kind of brand of approval. They're just our regulator. Now, we said that we're giving investment advice as a firm. That's something that's in the best interest of the client, putting the client ahead of us by far, all that good stuff. And we can't do that on the radio because we don't know you and you're not clients. And, um, all of the privacy issues and all that good stuff if you are clients. Uh, So what we do instead is education because we believe that if we educate people, hopefully they'll use it. It seems to have some track record and that people that know more tend to make better decisions. I know this is weird stuff. There's got to be a study on this too. Uh, Do you have another disclosure for us?
0: Well, the information that we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of
1: said information. Or unsaid information. We also uh, you know, do yes, not... I went into my radio voice to say that. Yes. We also do not pay for this radio program. It's not a paid commercial program. It. We also don't get paid to do the program, which makes us... I don't know. Is that charity? Pro bono. Pro bono. Uh, we do advertise on the station for the program, as does the studio. They, we have all been advertising this for a long time. We've been doing this program together since 1998, and you had two years in advance of that where you were doing it on your own for an hour instead of mm. two hours. Right. So uh, we've been doing this a long time. They're, I won't talk about labor. Wait, more. I was going to go into that too. In fact, that's the headline on here. But we missed a radio program we did a best of. And the GDP uh-huh. numbers came out a week ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Negative yeah.
1: 1.4. Right. We had a shrinkage in the GDP. When this This is something that would be very shocking unless you've listened to our radio program or read our newsletter. The quarter before that, we had huge growth. But part of that growth was buying inventory. So it wasn't quite profit yet. It was the purchase of inventory, but it hadn't been translated into making money. When companies fill up their warehouses, somebody made a profit. The manufacturer made a profit. But the warehouse company hasn't made the profit yet. When they sell the items, when they make the profit... But they're not buying new inventory for a while. And that's what happened in this last quarter. We talked about it way in advance. To say that double-entry
0: bookkeeping accounting is arcane is an understatement. Yes. Yes, it is. It's a form of magic. Um, And I realize that accountants will say, no, it's perfectly logical and rational. No, it's not. Because the economy did not shrink in the first quarter
1: any That's more than water. it grew as much as it did in the fourth quarter. It, right. it grew at about the same rate across both quarters. People
0: continued to spend more money. Can People continued to make more money. People continued to do more things. People continued to buy more things and services during the first quarter. It continued to accelerate, but the GDP was negative. Now, the
1: other thing about GDP couple, numbers, there were a couple of did. winter storms that hit too, and that did slow things down, right. but it, it slowed the growth. It didn't make the growth shrink. Something about GDP numbers
0: that's really important to remember anytime you see them is they are always annualized, which makes no sense to me whatsoever, because all the other numbers that come out monthly or quarterly, most of the other numbers are just for that quarter or for that month. We didn't say that we don't say that the labor force is growing at an annual rate of such and such, unless they put annual rate in there. They, yeah. But they don't just simply put the number on there and assume that you know annual. The economy did not, even by GDP numbers, even by accounting, did not shrink 1.4%, which is most people think what they think. It shrunk by one quarter of 1.4%, which is a little over three percent which is... You know, 0.3%, yeah. which is in the, a rounding error.
1: Yeah, and if, um, if you come out of this, like uh, employers last month added 428,000 jobs. If instead that headline said, uh, employment rises 5,136,000, everybody would go, whoa, 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 that's amazing, except that's the annualized. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense when you're looking at it in this context. GDP is like that. And the, the thing about GDP to remember is it is dramatic.
0: It's like the CPI, the Consumer Price Index. GDP is dramatically affected by imports, exports, and inflation, uh, even though it doesn't feel like that's happening. In other words, if we buy a lot of stuff in the United States, that normally would, do you think, well, of course, they'll raise the GDP. Mm, no, it doesn't raise the GDP necessarily if we were buying stuff that was partially made or completely made or something, or parts in it were made overseas. It's a very arcane process, even though the company that made the stuff may be a U.S. company. It just made it in an overseas factory and bought it from itself as it, it brought it into the United States.
1: And, and so just to be clear on this, we're not just jumping on this in the downtime. We talk about it in the uptimes, too, and great length. If you go back to 2018, 2020, um, th- the, the formula goes like this. You add consumption. That's a big chunk of our economy. Investment, that's like when you buy a bunch of inventory and put it in a warehouse. Government spending, wait a minute, put a bookmark on that one. And net exports. So our net exports are negative right now compared to our imports. So that's a negative on the GDP. Government spending? Why is government spending in GDP? Does it count just the net government spending that's not borrowed? No. It counts the whole thing. So we, if we have a boom year in GDP and you don't see a whole lot of growth around you, we may have had a lot of government spending. So GDP is an antiquated formula and it's good for a lot of things, but when we have this kind of weirdness in the supply chain, it's not a good metric to measure growth with at all. It's just a bad metric to measure growth or whatever is going on. Anyway, now now let's talk about labor, shall we? And let's you talk have about that.
0: labor. Yeah, labor. Um, the, the, the headline news was that the Fed was raising short-term rates half a percent. Uh, and by the way, the fact that we had a negative GDP combined with the Fed raising rates half a percent and we're having uh, significant inflation, if we look back a full year, is where the people are talking about stagflation. And if you missed it last hour We are not having stagflation. We have no signs of stagflation. There's no stagflation on the horizon anywhere right
1: now. Stagflation Uh, is defined as high unemployment and high inflation at the same time. We have low unemployment and high inflation. So we have inflation. That's not good. But it's not as bad as stagflation.
0: So why do we see news stories and hear talking heads talking about stagflation? Because it sounds scary. Yes. And that'll cause people to pay attention, and that'll cause the advertising to pay them more money. Yes. Um, anyway, the, the 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 critical news came out this week on the economy. and was kind of beery. The Labor Department announced that the U.S. economy added 428,000 jobs. You get, let me say that again. One month, 428,000 jobs net. That's a this lot. This is the 12th consecutive month of job growth topping 400000 We only need about 150,000 new hires net in a month to hold steady in the economy. We are getting in excess of 400000 The unemployment rate is holding steady at 3.6%, which is actually lower than what used to be considered full employment. Actually, it is lower than what even the Federal Reserve considers to be full employment. Um, so there was actually... Um, there were actually 11.6 million unfilled job openings last month, 6.7 million people hired 4.5 million workers quit their jobs. One of the reasons it's so hard to nail this number down first, you see round numbers coming out of the labor department because it is hard to nail this thing down. What do you, we have the highest quit rate we've ever seen. And what's a quit rate, a quit rate is The number of people who feel sufficiently secure in the economy and in their ability to get another job that they quit their previous job, not laid off, but quit.
1: Not quit because of, of, you know, I hate you or whatever, just they're, they're making a move. They're going from one spot to another. And that quit rate means that the economy is going well because people don't leave a job unless they know they have a job somewhere else.
0: When you see consumer confidence level reports, I don't know if you if you follow those like we do and you're geeky. I don't pay a lot of attention to consumer confidence. The reason I don't pay attention to consumer confidence is because again and again and again, studies have looked at this and people say, oh, I feel very uncertain about the future and I'm not going to spend any money. And then they promptly go out and spend a great deal of money and borrow money to buy things. The consumer confidence uh, is what people say they believe and what they actually do are sometimes at opposite ends of the, of the system. What you want to see? If you want to see what consumer confidence looks like, look at the quit rate. The higher the quit rate, the more confident people feel that they're that we're in a stable or growing economy. Um, this is really a good thing for the future, and that's just why we say the the signs that precede a major bear market or a uh, or, or a major or a big recession are just non-existent. If we have a recession, and I'll say this too, there is a consensus, and I happen to agree with the consensus, that if we have a recession, the most likely time to have the recession will be in 2023 right now or 2024. That's A. B, it will be very mild and and pass through and we'll just keep going. We just have, there's a couple of big things that I wanted to hit here that about why I think the economy is in such good shape. Our competition fundamentally is Europe and China. In case you haven't noticed, there's an invasion going on in Europe. Yep, There are refugees pouring across Europe. Uh, Companies in Europe were heavily invested in many cases in Russia and Ukraine and are taking some big hits because of that and they're having to lay people off. And Europe is sincerely concerned about a recession.
1: China, on the other hand... Just a real quick, in Germany, in the auto sector production fell 14% since last May, May to May. So part of that is uh, parts not coming from China. They're more dependent on China than we are. And we're pretty dependent on China. Uh, And part of that is there's a war going on and the gas that they use to power much of their stuff is coming in at an incredibly high price and it's kind of spotty in certain places in Europe. It's just been turned off. So there's, there's some problems, deep down structural problems Mm -hmm. going on there. There's deep down structural problems in China where they've got lockdowns that just spread all the way across.
0: China is also experiencing an invasion, viral invasion. Yes. And they don't, they didn't have any, their antiviral defenses stink. Their antiviral defenses are throw up a wall and the virus can't get through it. Unfortunately, the virus has proven its ability to get through the wall very nicely. They
1: just stopped it instead of a wall in that sentence. They just said throw up. Right. That's was their so the, defense.
0: China is really sensitive to the uh, COVID virus because they are, don't have any immunity. I have very little immunity. We have a great deal of immunity in the United States. Admittedly, it's it's unhappy that we've had, as a percentage of our population, we've had the highest death toll in the world, which is at least reported. I think it's probably been higher in India and some other places, but we have the highest reported death toll. Um, on the other hand, and people have said this to me, this sounds cold, the vast majority of people who died were also suffering from some other severe uh co-mortality, co-morbidity. They they were sick from something or they were quite old. um, and, And that's cold. But we had the least effect on our economy of any place in the world. And as a result, our economy is in great shape, whereas both the Chinese and the Europeans are looking really hard at the high probability of a recession this year. Right. That's another reason I think we're in such good shape is because our competition is in such bad shape economically. We are surging ahead, and the future looks very, very good for us. Uh, not so much for the people in Europe and China right now.
1: Yeah, and one of the this is this is kind of a reference back to last hour talking about interest rates. One of the reason why interest rates haven't risen as quickly as would be expected, with like a half percent rise here and a quarter percent rise there there are a lot of the longer term bonds that are taking longer to rise. And we're seeing that kind of percolate through the system. Why Why is the interest rate not going up across there? And the answer is because there's a lot of money coming from Europe. A mm-hmm. lot of money coming from China into the US uh, debt securities market because we're safe. Our, our, there, there's nobody invading us. We're not in a big lockdown. Our economy appears to be growing. Politics are pretty stable. And depending on if you're extreme right-wing or extreme left-wing, you would say, oh, that's not good. We got to get our agenda finished. But the reality is the economy prefers the politics to be stuck in a logjam and not making new laws, new taxes, new whatever, just let it alone. The economy prefers that, unless there's some blatant problem that needs to be solved. And according to the politicians, every problem is a blatant problem that needs to be solved. But there are big ones that actually affect the economy. Unless one of those is, the, is what's being passed, it's just better for the economy if they didn't pass anything. And that's where we are right now. We, you know, we had these big threats of a new death tax, these big threats of a new... Um, personal consumption tax, getting rid of the capital gains step-up in basis, all of these things that have been talked about that have been shut down by both political parties. The, those, That's stability. While when we're living in it, we look at it and we say, man, we're so polarized and our politics are, this is the worst it's been in however many years. Just look, everybody else in the world, <laughs> we're really stable. So there's you know it sounds like we're very US centric in this conversation. We live here and it's hard not to be. It's a great country and I really appreciate it when the politicians can't agree on anything because it tends to be better for the economy. So having said that's a big long ramble to say we're once again the source of stability for the rest of the world and that's a good place to be. And I kind of interrupted you to throw that in. And now I've been kind of wandering because you look like you're, you're thinking, uh, but it's back to you.
0: Well, the rest of the economy is echoing the fact that we have tremendous job growth. Now, one of the things that popped up in the headlines again, I don't know how many of our listeners follow the economic headlines, but, uh, there was some concern about the fact that the, um, the cost, the employment cost index went up in April, uh, it went up 1.4%, which obviously if it did that for the, uh, I mean, sorry, first quarter it went up 1.4%. Obviously, if it did that for the whole year, that would be ridiculous. The The point is in f- the actual wages that people are receiving not a, are actually rising and are continuing to rise slower than inflation. This is a big argument that inflation is going to be temporary. If people's income does not keep up with inflation, then they have less money to spend,
1: which means that you can't keep paying for the prices that keep increasing, which causes less people right. to buy it, which causes the price to come down.
0: So, as backward as that sounds, it's good that we see we're seeing some significant rise in the in the uh, wages. The, as a matter of fact, if you dig kind of deeply and you see what's core inflation, leaving out the very volatile stuff, and uh, what is wage price increase, they're about the same which is really pretty healthy. Now, that doesn't feel very healthy when you go to the gas pump and, and it, you have to take out a second mortgage on your home to fill up your gas tank, but the reality is there. And the other thing is, um, this is something we just have to get through, and it's unpleasant, it's unfortunate. Um, it's the price we pay. Inflation right now is largely composed of a price we are paying to keep Russia from conquering Europe, and going on to try to conquer the world. I know that sounds really weird, but it's true. It's the fact that Russia is being locked out of the world oil market. Not entirely. They're finding places in the in the Middle East. There is a listener to our show who just sent me a message that her daughter is listening to the show, who's named Ayla. So I want to say hi to Ayla. Hi, Ayla. So Ayla, you have been said hi to by the personal wealth coach. So see, we do monitor our emails. If you want to email us either, both Jeff and Jake McClure
1: at TPWC. No, 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 Just
0: Jeff and Jake at TPWC.com. We will respond to your emails. Just prove that we will do it. Yes. Um, So thank you. Thank you, Ayla, for listening. Anyway, what we're seeing across the board, and we mentioned this earlier, not only do we see this – Surge across the board in new orders and factory orders and durable goods orders, by the way, durable good, commercial durable goods orders, business investment is up tremendously business, durable goods, orders, investment by our business investment is probably the best indicator of what the economy is going to do over the next one to two years.
1: It's true because, because if you think of what is a durable good, so let's just take a step back. How often do you buy a new refrigerator?
0: all depends on who you are.
1: Yeah. Um, Most people don't buy a lot of refrigerators. They buy one every 10 to 15 years. That's a durable good. It lasts a long time. At the 15-year point, it's probably still functional. There may be some things wrong with it, but it's probably still functional. I've got a refrigerator that's probably 25 years old that's sitting here, and it's doing fine. That's a durable good. Why is it important that we say durable good orders are up people tend to buy durable goods when they have money to buy with when they have enough money to do it it's kind of a luxury purchase if you have a functional refrigerator and you replace it with a more functional refrigerator that's a luxury and it says something about where you are in your life we can measure that on a big scale and we see durable good orders up. It's pretty consistently a good sign for the economy. Back to you.
0: Well, there's a lot of other signs in there. And we mentioned this in the newsletter. And If you want to get our newsletter, just send us an email and tell us, we'll send, you, we'll send you the newsletter. But another thing that is in there that the market considered bad and the uh, rest of us considered to be good Um Domestic consumer spending for real final sales rose at an an annualized rate of 3.7% in the first quarter. What does that mean? That's the way
1: you kind of speak. Yeah, you just said some words that kind of sounded like English, but domestic, is there some kind of a...
0: Well, real final sales as opposed to artificial final sales, I guess. Real
1: real final. This is kind of final, and that's real final.
0: Well, real in economic terms means inflation has already been taken out of it. So real final sales after inflation was subtracted rose at an annualized rate of 3.7%. What does that mean? Two-thirds of the United States gross domestic product is consumer purchases, consumer spending. Census Bureau said in at an annualized rate in the first quarter when the GDP supposedly was shrinking, real final sales rose at an annualized rate of 3.7%. That means our economy is growing very nicely. And as a matter of fact, going down through the numbers, looking at all the real numbers out there.
1: After inflation numbers.
0: There's no question. We have this very healthy, growing economy. There's no question that we have year over year, uh, in other words, looking back one year, inflation that is that is high. There's also no question that the inflation rate is declining and that it ain't that bad, folks. If you average it out over the last decade, which is the way you really need to look at inflation, we're running at about the same rate we have for 100 years or so. Now, that sounds a little absurd. We're just getting it all in one big bite. Uh, We went with very, very low inflation. Matter of fact, it was close to deflation for a decade. Now we're getting it all in one big whammy. I strongly suspect, I would say I would give us a 90% probability A year from now, we will be looking back at very low, comfortable inflation numbers. Yeah. I actually don't think the Federal Reserve will raise rates as high as they think they're going to raise them at this point because I think things will slow down fairly nicely. Uh, It all depends on us, our behavior. It really boils down to the fact you want to know what's going to happen in the economy and whether inflation is going to continue to rise. It's really simple. Are we going to continue to buy more stuff? I get a sense, and this is just, my personal sense on this has been reasonably accurate in the past. Most people have reached the point where they've bought as much stuff as they want to buy. They have done a surge after the pandemic of buying stuff and buying services and going out to eat and doing a lot of things on a rebound. and They're about to slow down that behavior. It may take a few months before we see it, but I think people are Matter of fact, I had a guy say to me just the other day, "I have about as many things as I want to buy. I really don't have a need to get. I have any need to get more stuff."
1: Yeah, um, this is you know we've had a lot of questions about stagflation. That seems to be pretty common. People look back at the '70s and '80s and say, "Look how bad it was and how long it took." And I ask people to look back just a little bit farther. Look back to the 1940s and '50s at the end of World War II. And if you treat World War II like the pandemic, you'll see something. We've mentioned this before. You get this tremendous surge of unemployment. What is, what is that about? Well, a, a very, very large percentage of our working population was in the armed forces for the duration. The duration was over. They didn't have jobs when they came back. Even if they had a job to come back to, They didn't have the job while they were coming back. So unemployment went skyrocketing. We see um, the economy slow way down. All of this war production that was being paid for with with debt from U.S. bonds, all these ships that were being produced, General Motors had to switch over to making cars and they didn't have people to sell the cars to yet because there were a bunch of people that didn't have jobs here. And Europe wasn't buying cars at that point. They were trying to put their houses back together. Uh, Japan wasn't buying cars. They were doing the same. We were left relatively intact. And we had this boom in education that followed, where uh, a lot of people went back to school. And then you can see this massive inflation spike as people got jobs, and they got jobs fast because a lot of people had money in their pockets from the GI Bill and from their severance packages from the military. So they had this wad of cash that they're sitting on. They're buying things and they're being hired by people and they're getting educated. All of that stuff is the same as what we just experienced in the pandemic. So they had this massive spike of inflation that looks a lot like what we're experiencing right now. You don't see this kind of steep incline in inflation in stagnation and stagflation. There's a steady increase that goes up and up and up and up. Where you look back at the 1940s and 50s, you have this massive spike in inflation followed by several years of deflation as people were not crazy spending anymore. they'd already purchased all the durable goods they needed they uh, General Motors had already made all of the switches to buying, these big machines in their factories to make cars instead of tanks. So then the inflation died back. And if you think we have <laughs> supply chain issues today, just think about at the end of World War II, it makes our supply chain issues look uh, definitely first world problem. Oh, you don't have your latte at the moment. I'm sorry, we we were having trouble finding aluminum, period, right after the war. So the, the supply chain issues that we're experiencing today have the the greatest echo in history, uh, from right after World War II, and that if we use that as a guide, we saw a, a lot of struggle uh, in a lot of the different parts of the economy getting rearranged. But it was growth oriented struggle, and it took us a while to get a recession after that. I see us in the same kind of situation, and the the next recession we had was relatively mild. But it did set us up for the 1970s and 80s garbage that we've been talking about is that, you know, that is likely to happen again at some point in the future. It's just not happening right now. There. That was my long-winded historical nerdiness.
0: You know, nobody's actually, this is interestingly a very good sign. No one has actually asked me about the high volatility in the stock market right now. I really understand. I've been waiting for somebody to ask. So since nobody is asking, I'll you, ask myself. Wait,
1: wait. Can you tell us something about the volatility in the stock market? It just seems so volatile these days. <laughs> absolutely true. There, now it that is, sounds like a paid commercial program.
0: Please tell me do. more about
1: doesn't your knife get dull? Oh, sorry. It's a canned question. Doesn't R- my knife get dull? Does yeah, it, mine, does. it does. It's a paid commercial program, so I have to no, have canned it, questions.
0: It's not a page.
1: Just issue. grabbed it from the wrong right. batch. Yeah, go right. ahead. Right.
0: Anyway, last year a bunch of investors got together on Reddit and bid up stocks that were essentially worthless or nearly worthless to astronomical heights. Made some of them made a lot of money, and they got used to doing stock speculation. Now, there's a lot of difference between stock investing and stock speculation. Investing is long term; speculation is gambling and I've, I think it was Warren Buffett who said in the short term, I, I may have misquoted who it is, in the short term, the stock market is a casino. In the long term, I don't remember what it was in the long term, but it's a good thing in the long term, basically. <laughs> in the short term, it's a casino. Um, and and it it is it is something that's important to understand. And those same people are still in the market. They still, their, their experience in the stock market, their experience with investing is very short. They are bidding up. They bit up the, the market in the middle of the week and suddenly got smashed. They bought the high-tech companies, and they've lost a lot of money in the high-tech companies. And In many cases, they're doubling down. A matter of fact, there was a, and we're certainly not recommending it, uh, there, there's an ETF called QQQ. Uh, actually, it's TQQQ, which tells you that anything with that many Qs in it has got a problem anyway. Uh, it's a leveraged product that delivers three times the return of the NASDAQ 100 index. It's They borrow a lot of money, buy the stock in the NASDAQ's 100 index, and theoretically will return three times whatever the NASDAQ does. And it was a huge surge into it that was part of why the market jumped in the middle of the week this week. And then a bunch of people saw that and said, that's stupid, and sold those stocks. And then it crashed. And had you been in that TQQQ, uh, you would have lost three times the money you invested which doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but that's the way it works. So the point is that a three times the amount of money you gained, I should say. Yeah, if you, yeah if you, I was going to say, you, gained a, you,
1: gained, you lost three times more than you, what do you borrow money? You
0: can, do, you can actually do that. It is borrowed money, uh, particularly if you leveraged, and people were actually, now this is really ridiculous. TQQQ is two thirds borrowed money to begin with. But it is possible to borrow money to buy TQQQ. And so apparently some people did it, So you can actually lose more than you invested in those circumstances, and a lot of people did. And until those people get burned out of the market, and they will get burned out of the market eventually, they always have, the market is going to continue to behave in a somewhat crazy fashion. It's probably going to continue to be somewhat undervalued because these guys are buying all the wrong things. They're behaving irrationally, and they're getting burned severely. As they do, eventually they will burn out, and the market behavior will return to something closer to normal. Why do I say that? I, I can't say it with absolute certainty. I want to put a caveat on there. I, it's always possible that things will behave differently than they have in history, but it's not different this time. This is this has gone on many times before, and we're actually following history pretty interestingly, pretty close here.
1: Uh, and we're about out of time this week. Good news across the board, except for all the bad news. Hmm. Democracy is the the worst of all governments out there, except for all the others. Yeah. So like that. that. Sounds
0: sounds like a winner to me. And like, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we are also uh, SEC-registered investment advisors. We manage portfolios for people who are independently wealthy generally. And you can contact us off the air. We have voicemail on the weekends, live people during the week at 254-947-1111 or
1: toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Sign up for our newsletter there. Contact us through the contact form. Our radio programs are listed there going back lots of time. We've got podcasts out there. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.